Bible, if you would, and turn to John chapter 16. John chapter 16, verse 25 through 33 is our passage we'll be looking at this morning. If you're looking at a pew Bible in front of you, it's on page 903. I don't really have a very good introduction this morning to the sermon. But I have been thinking about something all week, and I would encourage you to have it in your mind as we open up John 16, and it's this. What do you mean, what do you mean when you say you believe in something? What do you mean? What do you mean? Not, not going to tell you what I mean yet. I'm going to tell you what scripture would encourage us to mean, but what do you mean? I believe in this. How much does it impact how you live? How much does it matter to you? Is it something that can be taken away from you? Is it something you think will change? Just having this subject of belief in the front of our minds as we come to John chapter 16. We've been listening in, in this section of John, on Jesus talking to his disciples, especially as he prepares them for his imminent departure. He's going to leave them. And the conversation has been winding from the end of chapter 13 to here at the end of chapter 16 where it will end at the end of this chapter. And the conversation has gone like this. Jesus has said he's leaving to go to his father and the disciples cannot come. And when he left, Jesus would send the Holy Spirit to lead them then through their lives with his presence and his word. In the coming days... The disciples are going to live lives as representatives of Jesus on earth through their obedience and through their love for each other. And in, in the midst of a world that will hate them and oppose their message. Through the Holy Spirit, the disciples will have joy as they live their lives that bring glory to God. This is where the conversation has gone so far with Jesus. It has ranged And if you remember, if you've been here, if you remember in chapter 13 and 14, Jesus' announcement that he was going and they couldn't come raised a lot of questions from the disciples. But Jesus has taken time to teach them. And through his teaching, we come to see the disciples gaining some clarity on what Jesus meant. We'll even see it this morning. But we'll also see there's still room for growth. So we're going to take this section of scripture and we're going to walk through it in three parts. I will have three, three kind of sections to my sermon this morning. Here they are, if you're taking notes and it would help you to follow along. First part is going to see that Jesus brings us into life with the father. Jesus brings us into life with the father. The second section we'll see. That we should not try to go to the Father on our own. Do not try to go on your own. And then thirdly, we'll finish by thinking about how we can let Jesus take us with him to the Father. Let Jesus take us with him. So first, Jesus brings us into life with the Father. I'm going to start reading in verse 25 of John 16. I've said these these things to you in figures of speech. 
The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me, and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father." I think this, this paragraph I just read encapsulates all that Jesus has, te- has been teaching since the end of chapter 13. It's kind of like pulling it together in a, in a tight summary. The relevance for them is here. The future for Jesus' followers is bright. Jesus is going away to the Father, but because he came, he is going to bring his people to the Father as well. We've seen over and over and over again in the series that Jesus came and lived and died to bring you as a Christian into life with God. That was his goal and his aim. He always intended to unite people into a loving relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. If you are listening to that and you're thinking, man, I'd love to hear more about that, and you miss those sections, well, come back. Because actually, Jesus will zero in more on that in even fuller detail in chapter 17 as he prays for his disciples. Jesus' departure is going to leave his disciples changed. Soon, in, in what Jesus references as the time that's coming, the hour that's coming soon, his disciples will understand That they have life with the Father. And they will understand what it's like to fully live in that reality. So they're going to, in maybe just in a few days, they're going to think about Jesus' teaching. And it will make total sense to them. It it will lock in. And their minds and their hearts will be with his truth. When they pray, they will know that they're talking directly to God. And that God is listening to them in love. Church. Church. In our season of transition, we have been asking God regularly to lead us, to do what he wants to do with us. Look at what Jesus wants for us. He wants us to experience love from the Father. Live in response in love to our Father. Go through life in a relationship of love with our Father. Jesus came to bring us into that. But if you notice in Jesus' words, there is a condition to this relationship. You must love and believe in Jesus to receive life with God. Look at verse 27. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. In order to enter into what Jesus offers, there must be an acknowledgement that outside of him we cannot have this life. And that the Father has extended life to us through his Son and only through his Son. Maybe you're starting to see the relevance of why I would ask you to ask yourself, what do I believe in? Was the thing you thought of, was the person you thought of, Jesus? And yet, given this condition, notice there's really no other qualification. 
There's no other thing that needs to be met in order to have this love from the Father. If you come through Jesus, no matter your age, no matter your station in life, no matter your job, no matter your possessions, no matter your past, no matter your present, God will love you. This is an universal statement for all God's people in all time. This is the world Jesus has opened to us. A door unlocked to a reality previously shut off to us. Life with God. And perhaps you are here and you grew up hearing a lot about Jesus. Uh, you went to Sunday school. You went to Awana. You did other things. Your parents are Christians. And, and you would even say that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. But as Jesus explains this, this relationship with the Father of asking and receiving, maybe that part rings hollow in your experience. Perhaps you were led to think that knowledge about Jesus is all you need for life with Jesus. Well, friends, Jesus challenges that notion. And demands that you go further in to understand more. Belief in Jesus is more akin to surrender and reliance and trust and dependence than it is to comprehension, rationality, logic, and mental knowledge. Those words don't take it far enough. Certainly you must know who Jesus is, but Jesus encourages us to not just know about him, but to know him. To love him, to live for him, and know his care in return for you. If, you. if it does ring hollow and you don't know what Jesus is talking about, I want you to hear Jesus initiating that with you this morning. This is the way to have it. Through him. To begin with him. Take your relationship, even if it started, even further and deeper. This is what Jesus saved you for. The Christian life begins at salvation. And then it grows. As we grow to know our father who sent his son to save us. So if you want a mental image to think about what, what God has done. Not just to save you. But to bring you into this life. Think of yourself like the orphan child. Left for dead on the streets. Who a king found one day dead in the gutter. Picked you up. Took you to his castle. There he cared for you. He raised you. And healed you. And once, and once you were alive. And thriving because of his power. At working you through Jesus' death and resurrection. He came to you and explained to you. That he wanted now for you to live as part of his family. From that day forward, you would have full access to him as your father. He would not just feed you. He would not just clothe you. He would make you a prince, a princess, one who was an heir, ready to receive the inheritance of the king of kings. He would share it all with you. Christian, that is the reality in which you live today. You are a child of the king. And if we have a father and a king who showed us such love to pick us up when we were dead and orphaned, how much more love do we have yet to experience from such a father in life with him? 
so much. So you don't ever need to question God's love for you if you are in Christ. But you can always ask to know more of his love for you. Prayer. Prayer is a way that we grow to know more about the Father's love for us. It's what Jesus encourages us to do in this relationship with the Father is ask him. Pray. Talk to him. Make requests. If you're asking God to give you what you need, and he does, do you see how that will help you know more about his love for you? If you're talking to God and asking for strength to endure the trial you're in, and he gives you that strength, do you see how you will understand what God's love is like for you through that? Jesus brings us into life with the Father. That is the point of verse 25 to 28. It's the point of his whole conversation with his disciples in this section. But we did notice that Jesus was talking here about a future reality. He said the hour is coming when this all happens. There will be this life. There will be the time when Jesus brings his disciples into this full life with the Father. And yet there's something in between. And the rest of John 16 directs us in, how, in more clearly how we come into this life with the Father. So if Jesus brings us into life with the Father, that's the first part. Let's look at the second part of this passage. Don't try to go to the Father on your own. Don't try to go to the Father on your own. I'm going to read verse 29 through 32. His disciples said, Ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. You know, we're, we're catching the disciples this unique time where, you know, it's never going to be a time like this again. Right before Jesus dies and rises, and then right after, and then you see the change and the transformation. The disciples are unique examples of that. I understand that's happening here. They're just days, maybe weeks away from the reality Jesus described in verse 25 to 28. After his death and resurrection, Jesus will have done everything needed to bring them into the full life he describes. So we're catching the disciples here in this moment. And it seems that from what they know about Jesus, they're in. They're they're committed. They believe everything that he's taught them that they have understood. Big qualifier there. Because there are still things they don't understand. For instance, they still at this point, on the verge of his arrest, are not anticipating that Jesus is going to die. It is not in their view. They are not comprehending that their belief in him will necessarily lead them through their death as well. So I want you to see on the cusp of Jesus doing this major transformative work of his death and resurrection, how essential it is for Jesus to work to bring about total repentance and faith. Had Jesus not done that, the disciples would have never crossed over into that. You must have him die for you. You must have him rise in victory over your sin if your life is going to be transformed like the disciples will. 
You must have his spirit living in you, and only Jesus can give that. The disciples' faith is about to take a huge leap forward after Jesus finished his work. But until Jesus dies, until he lives, until he gives his spirit to you, you will never truly know about him or know him. He must do that work in you if you will respond to him in that way. So if he haven't, he, if he has not, then let me invite you to ask him to do it. He will. The disciples are kind of on a journey of faith. A journey of faith that shows us how our faith is often like that too. It, it progresses, it grows, it changes. Sometimes in that journey of faith, we meet obstacles to belief in Jesus. Just like the disciples do here. They believed him, but only so far as they knew him. And then in the areas their understanding is lacking, their faith falters. Christian, your life will be occasion after occasion to live with God through belief in Jesus. And in each occasion, there will be potential for you to choose something besides belief in him. When we make that choice and believe in other things other than Jesus, we take the life of the Christian out of Jesus' hands and we put it into our own. We transition from life as something we do with God to a life we're primarily trying to live for God on our own strength. The disciples' example alerts us that there are alternatives to belief in Jesus so that we might be aware of them, confess them, and ask God to choose belief instead. I want to show you two alternatives to belief in Jesus That the disciples show us here. Two alternatives to belief in Jesus. That reveal that they are trying to go to the father on their own. Still. The first. The first alternative. To belief in Jesus. Is believing in our idea of Jesus. Believing in our idea of Jesus. Compare verse 25. And verse 29 and 30 to see what I'm getting at. This conversation about figurative speech. Jesus says the disciples will understand what he has for them in the future. As we just thought about referring to after his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. But the disciples in verse 29 and 30 insist that they get that already. Doesn't need to be a, a little while. They don't need to have him help them understand more. They got it now. They're sure they've already arrived. The figures of speech Jesus is using that he says they won't understand until a little while. They say, no, we got it. Jesus, we got that. Makes sense to us. Not a shred of ignorance remains as far as they can tell. They know what they need to know about Jesus. And what is it they say they know? Look at verse 30. Now we know that you know all things. And do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. They know Jesus knows everything. And they know, as they've witnessed, maybe from chapter 16, verse 19, they know people don't even need to ask him questions because he already knows what they're thinking. If he knows everything, and Jesus knows what people are thinking, then the disciples are confident. He's sent from God. 
Nothing more needs to be explained, Jesus. Crystal clear. The disciples are resting on a faith based on the observations that they have, to this point, collected and put together. At this point, they are not admitting they lack understanding or that there are still things Jesus needs to teach them. As is often the case, we wonder, did the disciples think before they spoke? If Jesus, who knows all things, just said that they would understand figures of speech later, but not yet, why did they act like they knew what Jesus didn't by saying they understood him now? If Jesus knew all things, why didn't they just trust what he was telling them? I think it's because they're like us. We think knowledge is control. And we do not like to not know. They have insisted, they've wanted to know, Jesus, where are you going? We'll go there with you. It's been a trend of every question they've asked. We'll we'll get on the train. We'll get on the Jesus ride. You don't need to worry about us. Just tell us. Give us the info. Knowledge, we think, is power. So we try to plan ahead so we can know what's going to happen. I was thinking about that this week in my own life. I remember uh, doing an internship at a church uh, before I was ever a pastor, exploring the idea of going into pastoral ministry. I did it with five other guys. It was pretty academic. Read a lot of books, wrote a lot of papers. And it was day one of that internship where I realized the other five guys in that experience with me knew way more than me about the Bible, about pastoring, about following Jesus, about theology, you name it. I was the lowest rung on the ladder. And I felt incredibly insecure about it. So, what do you think I did? Welcomed my inadequacies and trusted the Lord? No, I did not do that. I resolved to know as much as them. I I made a commitment in my own mind. I'm going to read every book they've read. I'm going to read more books than them. I'm going to take classes that I haven't taken. I'm going to go to seminary and I'm going to learn as much as them. I'm going to exceed them. I'm going to gather Everything that can be known about this pastor thing so that I will succeed in it. And I'll have a successful ministry. I did think that. I kept determining to know more. I couldn't rest as long as I felt I had inadequate knowledge. Man, neither could Adam and Eve. Satan tempted them. Believe believe this lie. That God has withheld knowledge from you that you need to know in order to truly live. Just go looking for it. Look outside of the life God has given you to find it. And so Adam and Eve doubted God, believed in their own idea that they could be gods themselves. Friends, if you're desperate for knowledge and you think that's the key, you will overcome all your inadequacies that we give you power and control. Let me just tell you, out of love for you, you can never escape the reality of not knowing. In some way, shape, or form, things will be unknown to you because we are not God. 
Knowing more is not an answer. Knowing God more is. I could never overcome my inadequacies as a human being, let alone as a pastor, through more study. But I can today praise God that even in light of those inadequacies and in light of my inability to gain all the knowledge I had planned to do, he has still chosen to work through his power and use me in ways he's chosen to do for his glory. I praise him that he's able to do that. And God used Adam and Eve's unbelief to bring about a reality in which we can know God. As a church, we want to believe in Jesus. Not our idea of Jesus. Faith in Jesus is not a purely intellectual endeavor. We don't come to Jesus through using the scientific method, employing all our faculties and our senses in order to render a distilled rationalization of what we think Jesus must must be like. Why? Because God is a being who we don't understand unless he reveals himself to us. He cannot be discovered with extensive space exploration or clever detective work. He is not obligated to reveal all of himself to us at any moment or at all. That he would even give us a shred of what he's like is a perfect picture that he is a God who is merciful. So our gatherings as a church, our life together must not be an attempt to fit Jesus into a compartment of our own making. Our gatherings and our life together is an opportunity to watch Jesus blow away our compartments through his miraculous work and power. It is wonderful to be able to say, I know Jesus. But we need more than that to have a solid foundation for our faith. We must be able to say, Jesus knows more than me. And Jesus knows me. And I will trust what he tells me. And I will trust where he leads me. So let us ask God to build a culture here as humble disciples of Jesus. Learners. We have not summarized all there is to know about Jesus in our statement of faith. Our doctrinal soundness is not a comprehensive portrayal about our experience of Jesus that is available to us through the Father, Son, and Spirit. There is always more of him to know about. There is always more of him to know. This trusting in an idea of Jesus gets exposed when what we believe is called to action... In how we live with Jesus. Which takes us to the other alternative to belief in Jesus. So we can believe in Jesus. Or we can believe in our idea of Jesus. Or we can believe, secondly, in your plan for Jesus. You can believe in your plan for Jesus. Look at verse 31 and 32. Jesus answered them. Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. And with that question, do you now believe? And Jesus is just kind of gently poking at the foundation of their trust. 
Are you sure that structure is going to hold up? He asked them. Even though the disciples believed Jesus knew all things, Jesus knew that alone will not carry them through what is about to happen. Soon, maybe even that same hour, right after Jesus finishes praying after this, Jesus is going to be arrested. He's going to be tried and condemned to be executed. He will be crucified. His dead body will be put into a tomb. And when that goes down, none of the disciples go with him. They all scatter. When Jesus is alone on the cross, none of the men who claim to believe Jesus is sent from God right here are there. What happened to their faith? The events that would unfold surprise the disciples, surely, but not Jesus. Jesus intends for all these things to happen. This is what he and the Father planned to do in order to bring salvation to sinners. He even told his disciples that many times in his ministry, this is going to happen. But the disciples, see, didn't hear it because they had a different plan for Jesus. They planned for him to be a conqueror. They planned for him to be a hero. They planned for him to return Israel to national dominance over Rome. Their plan for him was that they would follow him into his victory and exaltation. So when Jesus' plan diverged from their own plan for Jesus, and when suffering and humiliation become the road to travel instead of the victor's parade, the disciples' belief in Jesus buckles. When we follow Jesus, there is death and there is resurrection in store. Always. I can say it's universally true. There will be many points where Jesus says to us, it is time for the old part of you to die. It is time to put away that thing your heart has been relying on instead of me. It is time to live according to a different plan. One that is not about my success or my comfort. It is time to put to rest your strategies to get what you think you deserve. It is time to stop subtly or obviously believing that you can get yourself to the Father without Jesus. It's time. The cross where Jesus died is the cross where our old selves with our old sin dies too. In the footsteps of Jesus, your path must go through his cross. There is no shortcut. There is no other way around it. And though the disciples couldn't see it, and neither can we often, there's also life. There's life through death. I doubt they saw it as they watched Jesus hauled away. I doubt they were thinking about it. I don't think they were. They didn't know it was coming as Jesus is nailed to a cross. They were not thinking about resurrection glory. But resurrection will come. And you watch the disciples' lives shift. And you hear them preaching after that. And you know what you can't get away from in their message? Jesus is raised. He lives. The resurrection is real. We saw Jesus die. And we saw him alive. And our lives are his. Jesus' completion of the plan to die and rise 
becomes the bedrock then of our faith. But to get there, we have to let go of our plans and give ourselves to live Jesus' plan for us. The overwhelming majority, I'm just going to go out on a limb and guess this about you and me. I think the overwhelming majority of the things we worry about or fear stem from what's happening to our plans. The overwhelming majority of the things we worry about or fear stem from what's happening to our plans. We plan for retirement. We worry when the market dips. We plan our vacation. We worry that the flights will get canceled. We plan to get married. We fear we'll live alone. We plan for a certain type of family. We anxiously control our kids to fit our plan. We don't plan to die. We're afraid to even think about it. What we do with our fears and our worries reveals our faith. It reveals our faith more than what we do with our joys and successes. You see, the disciples were on cloud nine just a moment ago. I mean, they were, they were excited. Disciples readily claim Jesus when he shows his ability to know all things, but they quickly scatter when he showed his plan to suffer all things. Maybe the most accurate measure of our belief in Jesus is whether we stay near him when we are hurting and afraid. And I, I, I get it. On a, human letter, on a human level, the instinct to get distance from Jesus during hardship makes some sense. So when, if Jesus intends for you, or is, is showing you in your life right now, I intend for you to go through trial. What, what, is, it, what is it that you think? Well, we think, we wonder. Jesus, if you're leading us into this trial, if you've got us in this trial, do you know us? We say, he knows all things when things are good, but then when they're not, we ask, does Jesus know me? Does Jesus love me? Yeah, Jesus might know everything, but in the midst of the pit I'm in, does he really know anything? Can he do anything? He might know all, but does he see me? He might know, but how in the world is this good for me? Well, there's more to Jesus than this. Jesus who came and suffered and died and rose again for our salvation. In his suffering, in doing that, he loved you. So does, does your suffering, does he love you in your suffering? He absolutely does. He suffered so that he would love you. In his plan to die, he did everything needed for your salvation. From the cross, he saw you and he died for you. And through the cross, he had good in store for you. Our faith has a better place to rest than our plans for Jesus. Our faith grows when we trust Jesus' plans for us. Kids, you might have heard the story from the Bible that Jesus told about the two builders. Remember this story? There was a wise builder and there was a foolish builder. We sang about it earlier about building house on a rock or on sand. 
One of the builders was wise because he built a house on rock. And one built a house on sand. He was foolish. And so in the story Jesus tells, a storm comes. And the house on the rock foundation stays standing. But the house on the sand falls apart. When we trust our own ideas of Jesus and our plans for Jesus, we build our lives on sand. These alternative beliefs will not and cannot comprehend what you're going to need to endure the trial of life and the suffering of death. They can't. The foolish man did not plan for a storm. He didn't see it coming. He didn't know about it. And so he figured, hmm, a foundation of sand, that's just going to do fine for me. There will be a lifetime of sunny days on the beach for me. Well, his error was that he didn't look for a a solid foundation that was already there to rest his house on. He assumed any or no foundation would do. Well, this strikes me as very relevant for our world today. The word belief, the one I asked you to think about earlier, that's not used as a foundation word in our culture. It's more like the decorations you put inside your house. One's tastes for this set of self-oriented values or another's preference to believe that there is no God. And these beliefs, they can change out, in and out, as easily as you change your curtains. Often in line with the way that the culture's belief fads are changing. I think if there's any foundational belief commonly held in our world, it's that the foundation doesn't really matter. But it does. Curtains will not hold up your house when a flood comes. Ideas we've come up with about how we think Jesus should be will wash away with the heavy rains of life. The house will not stay standing through an unexpected shift of circumstances in your life if your life house is built on your plans. So we have an opportunity, all of us, this morning to re-examine the foundation we're building our lives on. I want you to literally, in your, not literally, but imagine in your heart, in your mind, in the way you think about your life, that you are jumping up and down on the ground of your ideas and your plans for your life. And you are trying to find out, will these things hold what I'm expecting them to hold today? Will they hold tomorrow? And we get to hear the truth about Jesus, not our ideas about Jesus in this passage. And we get to discover that Jesus has plans for us. In light of what he has to say, I want you to re-examine your foundations. And if it isn't Jesus, start building on him now. And this leads us to our last point. If Jesus brings us to life with the Father, don't try to go to the Father on your own. But thirdly, let Jesus take you with him. Let Jesus take you with him. Look at verse 33. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. When you watch the disciples here, aren't you so glad to know that Jesus has a category for people whose faith is not strong when it needs to be? Yeah, I resonate with that. He, he tells the disciples, 
you're going to bail on me. And in the next sentence, he says, I'm still going to be for you what I've always planned to be for you, your refuge and your redeemer. Jesus never expected his disciples would have it all put together by time it really counted. Jesus wasn't coming to die for a bunch of healthy, well-balanced, strong, backbone, basically sinless disciples. As if the cross is just a symbol for us to dust ourselves off and try better next time. No. He was coming to die. And he was coming to rise. To heal those dead in sin. To restore the battered. To give strength to walk to the people crippled by doubt. And to dress in righteousness those who were naked in their guilt and shame. The cross of Jesus is an invitation. There's Jesus. Sent from the Father. Had his entire person spread out to endure all your sin. And in doing so, at the same time, spreads out his arms to welcome anyone who would lay their sins on him. On the cross, the Savior of the world stepped in between us and a holy God and took God's wrath against our rebellion and gave us an offer of peace. Stop the war. Stop the fighting. Live with me and follow me. So when the disciples were fleeing, scared and faithless, they didn't know enough about Jesus to run to him. But Jesus is about to show them that they could have and they can't. Isn't it ironic that in Jesus' hour to die, his disciples run away and hide in their homes from the one who knows all things. But even before that happened, Jesus told them, when this all is done, you will not hide from me. You will hide in me. There is a kind of belief That goes to Jesus in all things. Even in the worst things. A kind of house. That rests squarely on the rock that is Christ. Is that what you think of when you think of your belief? The person who has found peace with God in Jesus Christ now has this life in front of them. Your future with the Father, your life with him has already begun. Soon the disciples will stand beside the resurrected Jesus and marvel at how they saw him die. Yet here he is talking to them about his resurrection. And then Jesus will leave and he will go to the Father. And his plan for them will be that they stay and they keep telling the world about him. Then one day he'll come back and take them home in resurrection. Jesus is aware of the life he's left us to live. The life that stands in front of you this week. He knows. He's put you in it. He has things for you to do through it. He's also aware about this world that he's left us to live in. He understands that his people will journey in faith and it will be a hard journey. And it will be a rocky journey. And it will be a stormy journey in this world. The land we trudge through is powerful. It has the ability to bring burdens and sorrows, and hurts, and pains, and persecutions. So do you feel your heart groan when Jesus says, in the world you will have tribulation, and you say, amen, Jesus. Many of us, like denying Peter, probably felt 
Aunt Jesus, not even the world. I don't even have to get into the world. I got this flesh. I got these desires. I got my fickle faith to contend with. I have to live with the awareness that so often when the world and sin and the devil rise up, I'm the one cowering in fear and I run from the cross and the call to follow Jesus. Don't we so often wonder if we'll be overcome or worry that we might have already been overcome? Don't you feel your heart lift then when Jesus says, take heart. I've overcome the world. The war of your heart and the warring of this world will come to an end. It will. And in the meantime, you got a place to hide in Jesus, who is our peace. There is peace for us. People of God, and his name is Jesus. There's peace for you if your life has been an unending war against him, and his name is Jesus. The world is a hard, rocky, and stormy place we must journey through, but Jesus, our guide, knows every step. He was never alone, and he will never leave any of us alone. He is our champion who has already claimed victory over any enemy we will encounter along the way. Our loving Father sent Jesus, our shepherd, to carry us on his shoulders back to heaven. So I know the world is rough, and I know the path seems long at times. Jesus has us. He has us, and he will carry us. He will shepherd us. He will love us, and he'll lead us back to the Father. You can rest yourself on him, Christian. You can believe in him. That's what belief is. Resting on, resting in. To live in this reality is some wonderful combination of surrender, reliance, trust, and dependence. We are built on the rock. We are safe in the rock. Because he came, we know about him. Because he died, And Rose, we know him. Jesus is bringing us to the Father. Let's let him take us there. Let's pray. Father, we pray and ask in Jesus' name that you would bring us to yourself. Help us to walk in belief as we come to the cross of Jesus and give our lives. Surrender everything that has kept us before. Surrender the things that are holding us back even now. Lord, lead us to see Jesus died and risen to bring us into life and to welcome his plans for us. Holy Spirit, tear down obstacles and alternatives to faith in hearts this morning. Do your mighty work. There is no better way. There is no real way. There is no true life outside of Jesus. Lead us to know life in him today. And Lord, help us to take it out. To be the people who who show in our belief that Jesus is to be trusted. That he does love. That he is mighty and victorious to save. And that he is for sure returning. Use us in a witness of how we believe in you to bring others to faith and saving faith in you. We ask this for the glory of Jesus' name.
Amen.